Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and across the Six Nations as Europe's elite go head-to-head in rugby's oldest international competition. Each week, we'll be looking at the QBE predictor, which forecasts the results of each round of matches. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Leader. January is when many of us take solace in the booking of a summer holiday, especially after so many were cancelled last year. But before you hit up the price comparison sites, Vaccines Minister Nadim Zahawi was asked about it on BBC Breakfast and his response was a bit deflating. I would say it's it's too early to uh, begin to... Uh, uh, speculate on uh, summer holidays. I think the the right thing to do now is to continue with our vaccination drive. And then there's the quarantine hotels, which we looked at in the last podcast. It's all pointing to a travel sector still in crisis. And joining me now is Paul Charles from the PC agency, which advises the industry. Paul, is summer cancelled then? Well, the summer is not cancelled for staycations. I'm very confident that in the UK we will be mostly able to enjoy a traditional summer. And that's why staycation bookings are doing very well at the moment, because people have that confidence, especially with uh, so many millions of people having been vaccinated before the summer, if all goes to plan. The concern is obviously around overseas trips, not just leisure trips, but business trips as well, and vital family trips. If you put in place measures which involve everybody having to quarantine in a hotel on their return, then it would put off most people from traveling for business or leisure. And when you do that, you find the confidence ebbs away, they don't book, and as a result, the industry suffers enormously. And and that's the pain that it would go through if the government goes ahead with these measures. Paul, last year we saw some airlines closing down. We've seen the cruise line industry struggling. If that happens again this summer, are we going to see more of that? I think you will see more casualties across aviation and travel, simply because there comes a point where the cash runs out. And if the government does not extend the furlough scheme, or does not offer more support schemes, then there comes a point where businesses can't really afford to trade or survive on what they've got. Um, And that would be a terrible shock to the economy and it would be a travesty of uh, government ministers to allow what was a strong aviation and travel sector in the UK to disappear and certainly to be diluted. Going slightly off tangent, there have been complaints in education that the government doesn't seem to have a plan about reopening schools. 
Do you feel, Paul, that the government has a plan to help the travel industry? No, there's no plan at all from the government. There's no strategic plan to help the aviation sector or the travel sector as a whole. Government at the moment is producing policy on the hoof. It's not producing policy for the long term. To be fair to ministers, who would want their job at the moment? This is a pandemic you can't be trained for. This is something those ministers did not sign up for in the election. There was no indication the pandemic would come. And so it is It is a difficult role. Of course it is to lead during this pandemic. But sadly, the leadership that is being shown is simply not strong enough. And if they were running businesses this way, those businesses wouldn't last five minutes. The country actually deserves a stronger strategy for the travel and aviation sector, as well as some other sectors as well. Well, then we do know that there is a plan for uh, quarantine hotels, Paul. How has the travel industry taken this idea that people arriving in the UK could be held in a hotel for 10 days? The concept of quarantine hotels is obviously well-versed in Australia, Thailand, New Zealand, and it has been successful for those countries, but they're not as well-connected or interconnected as the UK is. The, the, the UK geographically is very close to plenty of neighbours, be it Ireland, be it France, you know, many other countries across Europe, where people have chosen to live and work in the UK because of its proximity to those other countries. So they can be close to family and close to their, their workplaces. So it's very different to Australia. And for that reason, if you start putting hotel quarantine in place in this country, then you're affecting the trade and the many business links with our near neighbours. And that will cause enormous damage to the UK. I think the World Travel and Tourism Council today said it would um, cause £550 million of losses every day to the UK economy. That, that amount would be wiped out. So I don't think hotel quarantine is the answer. The answer is for the government to enforce 100% quarantine in our homes. That's what they should be doing. They should be investing in that, resourcing for it, ensuring that when you come into this country, as you do today, you quarantine at home for up to 10 days, and then they check up on you regularly. And that's been the problem. They haven't been checking effectively enough. How nervous is the travel industry right now, Paul? I think the sector is deeply concerned and worried because the fear is that once these hotel quarantine measures come in, and we hope they are going to be a lighter touch uh, by only affecting high-risk countries, then once they come in, there's a danger the government leaves them in place. This government has a habit of not removing measures once they're in place, as we've seen with quarantine. And the fear in the travel sector is that they could be in place, like Australia, for over a year. Um, So I hope that the government only puts in place measures which are for travellers coming from high-risk countries like Brazil, like Southern Africa, like Portugal, and doesn't extend them. And the fear is that government does extend them to more countries over time and prevent people from coming into this country. There's more on this in Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. Let's head to an ad break now and why not take a moment to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode of The Leader Podcast available every day at 4pm. Thank you. 
In the Evening Standard, Robert Halfen, the chair of the Education Select Committee, says if schools don't reopen soon, pupils will be mired in a ditch of educational poverty. The government says it's a priority, but how are they going to do it? Teachers, parents, MPs from all parties have been asking just that, but so far there is no plan available. I'm joined by Jeff Barton, General Secretary of the Association of School and College Leaders. Jeff, does it feel like reopening classes is a priority? Uh, it, it feels like there's a kind of double think going on here, doesn't it? Uh, just like uh, way back when the government talked about the importance of education, and yet at the same time, whilst it was paying people to be able to go and eat out and have drinks, actually the majority of young people weren't in their school. So there is a rhetoric here and a reality, and I think it is a hugely frustrating one, and what we hear from parents in particular um, is that sense of frustration that uh, we need more than the windy bluster about schools being a priority. We need a plan to get more young people than are in school at the moment back in. So it's one thing to say that they want schools to reopen. How can that be done, Jeff? How can pupils, how can teachers go back to those classrooms safely? Well, I think there's a couple of things need to happen. I think, first of all, there is stuff that the people who I represent, who are teachers and trust leaders and deputies, uh, can't do. Okay, So we need scientists to say, with this form of the virus, which we know is different, uh, we know that it is transmitted more easily than the previous form by children and young people. So what we need to know is not just this question of whether schools themselves are safe, because I think we all know that actually for the young people and for the staff, whilst there are risks in any context the risks actually are relatively low but that was never the question the question was if you've got young people moving to and from school being dropped off going into supermarkets on the way and all of this kind of stuff what is the risk to the community and now that's something the scientists need to say now if they were to say that means that probably to play safe we'll have 20 percent of young people back that would allow our expertise, education, to start saying, okay, if, if it's 20% or if it's 30% or if it's 50%, in primary, where would you prioritise the pupils? Would you start with the youngest ones who aren't developing the habits of reading and so on? Would you in secondary start with the exam students who are so fretful? In FE, would you go for the ones who need specialist equipment because they're doing motor vehicles and so on? And you can see that quite quickly, if the scientists do their bit and the government legitimises a transparent discussion, Parents and young people would think this is not going to go on forever. There is a plan. Have you had any communication with the government yourselves? Has even the Education Secretary, Gavin Williamson, reached out to you to talk to you about what plans could be? We have regular discussions with officials at the department and indeed a weekly uh, conversation with the Secretary of State. I'm not sure that the real axis of power in all of this is the Department for Education. I think what we've sensed is that, you know, number 10 has its own agenda. And I think sometimes that has made things much more difficult. I would say that just in the past week or so, we have started to get into a more granular discussion, which is about solving the problem of how do we get more children and young people into school. And that, that comment will be met with disbelief by lots of your listeners thinking, but surely that's what you've been talking about the whole time. It's been very difficult to get to that sense that working with school leaders and teachers is probably going to find a better solution than people who haven't set foot in a school since they were in school themselves, thinking that they're going to come up with it. So there is a new mood of collaboration, I think, and we're at the beginning of that. So you're saying the the beginning of that. Are we definitely starting to move towards a process where schools could be open, let's say, 
before Easter? So in terms of the, the, the actual date, that is something which I, I can't s- speculate on, and it's very difficult to know, and that will be about rates of community transmission in different areas, and there might be a squeamishness from a government which been, has been accused frequently of overcomplicating its message, then therefore being squeamish of saying, okay, well, this area is going to have all of its primary children back, and this area isn't. That, that will be for them to decide. Uh, whether it's before Easter or not, uh, I don't know. But the majority of people I'm talking to, whether they're in the media, whether they're connected with education and the Department for Education, seem to be taking a fairly pessimistic view, not because they don't want children back, but because this virus is proving particularly vicious and isn't going anywhere fast. When schools went back, we reported on teachers seeing a definite change in their pupils, change in behaviour, changes in attitudes. Are you worried you're going to be seeing something like that again this time? Is the fear that it could be worse? Well, I think the risk is that unless we get this wider opening of schools right, and some young people are simply going to give up hope because they're going to think, well, how long till this happens again? And you've got all of these GCSE and A-level and vocational qualifications, young people, still not sure now exams are being cancelled how they will be assessed now you can imagine for some of them they will be thinking well am i just going to be the product of an algorithm or somebody else making a decision what's the point of me going back to school the picture was mixed last time you saw a great sense of optimism from young people and resilience from a lot of young people of them actually being joyful about physically being back in school but that's why the more we can start to say look it's not going to happen next week but there is a plan so that we can start to prioritise who comes in when and how we keep our schools open instead of this terrible revolving door. All of that is more likely to lead to better motivation from those young people and um, a, a greater sense that they can then know they're going to be remaining in school rather than just being there on a short-term basis. And that's the lead ahead to standard.co.uk for more. We're back at 4pm tomorrow.